Hear now these words from 2 Samuel. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Arana went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Arana, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. This is the word of the Lord. That's right, that's right. Attaboy, Clarence. After all, tomorrow is a new day. And oh, Auntie M., There's no place like home. Do I still have to sleep in the cupboard? Do you know what those are? The last lines of a play, a movie, a book. The text that Katie read to us is not the final act of David's life. That will come later in another book. But these are the final words of 2 Samuel, perhaps a summation of what it means to be a person after God's own heart. For remember, remember God judges David as one who has a heart after God's own heart. And we know, don't we? We remember David certainly isn't perfect. This story, in fact, begins with a sin in the first part of this chapter, in the early part of this chapter, it was the sin, the sin of counting, counting the people of Israel, which was a preliminary act either for a military draft or for taxes. It was an attempt to enhance the royal and oppressive power of the king. Like a miser counting his money, David counts the people, counting what he can control. The census is barely finished according to the scripture, and David realizes the dreadfulness of what he's done. Because Joab reports to king that there are 800,000 in Israel and 500,000 in Judah able to draw the sword. Verse 10 reports that David is stricken in the heart because he has numbered the people. And he says to the Lord, and I quote, 
I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, I pray you take away the guilt of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Huh. So a person after God's own heart is willing to confess, acknowledge, and confess doing wrong. Certainly not perfect. But you know, lining up all of our stuff and counting it never leaves us happy. For whatever we have, if it's important enough for us to count it, it's never enough. We always think we need more. David realizes that he has calculated. He is not trusted. I have sinned greatly in what I've done, he says to God. As a result, a plague sweeps across the country. And just before the angel of death stretches out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord says, enough, and Jerusalem's saved. Now, I'll be honest with you about that early part of the chapter. I have a lot of questions. And don't have a whole lot of answers that are satisfying. But this is the place our text for today starts. On the very spot that the Lord stops the angel, David decides to build an altar to God, an altar of thanksgiving. The location, as we learned, is the threshing floor owned by Arana. So David approaches Arana and asks to buy the threshing floor so he can build that altar and worship God. Arana, though, as we heard, offers the land, the oxen, the wood for the fire, everything free to the king. I give it all to you. The last time I checked, we want to be on the good side of the king, right? He can take it anyway, so let's get ahead of that train and give it to him. For a king can make life and death decisions. If you have any doubt, ask Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. You remember the David and Bathsheba story and how David has Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed so David can get what he wants, thinking that he can cover up his sordid affair with Bathsheba. David won't have any of it. He won't accept the gift of land and all the others. Instead, he pulls out his wallet and says, I will not take these things from you. But I will buy them. Hear what David says. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And thus the book ends with David pulling out his wallet, paying gladly and willingly out of gratitude for what God has done, and then building an altar and sacrificing to God. The writer here, I believe, is summing up what it means to be a person after God's own heart. The closing verses of this book show what a faithful life looks like. Willing to admit wrongdoing, ask for forgiveness, offering something in gratitude that costs something. David realizes full well why he's king. He's king because of the mercy, the grace, the steadfast love of God. He's been given much, and he knows it. If you remember the story of his coming to be king in the first place, it all came to him as gift. And so he's not not content with just being a taker, a sponge to sop up everything that God has given him and keep it for himself. He insists on giving back. 
person after God's own heart refuses to get by on somebody else's commitment, somebody else's gift. No, I have been given much. I too must give back. God has given me abundant gifts for after all, it all comes from God anyway. A person after God's own heart won't sadden God because God has lavished us with life and love. And so we respond by offering something that costs us something. Any other response to that incredible gift is really no gift at all. And I believe it saddens God. Perhaps it's best summed up in 2 Chronicles 29, 14, David's prayer. It's at the end of his life. He's gathered gifts from the people. And if you remember anything about the, the people gave so much that they had to call off the stewardship campaign. Hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, said, quit giving. We got plenty. We got plenty. He's gathered the gifts so that Solomon will have a very nice building fund to build the temple. And here's what he says. He prays to God, David. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to make this free will offering? Get it? Free will. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. I don't have to remind you that we do live in a culture that says you need to take care of number one, that focuses on me and mine. If we take it all, if we hold it, we count it, you know what happens? It turns into poison and it kills us. In not giving, we die. In giving, we breathe. It's by giving that we come to life again. The more we give, the more we live. Now, people, I'm only here for a few months. I, I come from Kansas. It's the Midwest, and we kind of lay it out there. So I want to be honest with you, okay? And if you're offended, I'm sorry, but I, but I want to be honest. I believe that if everybody at McLean Baptist Church tithed, we would be holding nightly meetings trying to figure out what to do with all the funds that the church would have for mission and ministry. I believe that. The latest hard, cold statistics that I could find are from the IRS and the Statistics of Income, SOI. And they're from 2011. Those making forty-five dollars to $50,000 a year donated 4% of their income to charitable causes. Those making 200 to 250,000, 2.7%. And that's been true for years. The less income, the larger percentage is given. I think that's shameful. I, I do want to assure you that what, what, what we're about this morning is not not raising a budget. There's not, even, there's not even a budget for 2017, for goodness sake. 
It's all about our need to give in order to grow in faith. It's about God raising God's own children. It's about being honest about the source of all that we have and all that we are. It's about being free, free will offering. This is Christ the King Sunday in the life of the church. Our gifts that cost something are a part of our worship that proclaim that Christ is king, not those other would-be kings and prime ministers and presidents. This is an opportunity for God to raise God's children, to mature us into responsible, generous givers who give out of gratitude, not because Lane got up here and said we need to give. No. No, no. It's because of gratitude for God's great generosity to us. Let me be, continue to try to be honest. You cannot not give a percentage of your material resources to the Lord's work because 0% is a percent. And the truth be told, there are members of McLean Baptist Church that give 0%. I don't know who you are. I haven't even seen the giving, but I, every church I've ever been, that's the case. I've got good news. That can change. Here's what I encourage you to consider, to prayerfully consider. Look at what you give. 1%, 2%, 3%, 4 whatever it is. Look at that and say, do I think God might want me to give one more percent next year as an act of gratitude, being faithful to what God has called me to do? And I believe if we all do that, we'll be amazed at what God can do. I need to be honest with you most most of our tithe goes to our church. We make, Diane and I make a contribution, a modest contribution to the ministry of McLean Baptist Church every month. Most of our tithe goes where our membership is, at Providence Baptist Church in Hendersonville, North Carolina. So in the name of God, I invite you to give something, something that costs you something. Not because the church needs the money. You may give $100,000 a year to this church. I don't know. I have no idea what you give or don't give. But the church will survive without my offering and without your offering. The issue is we will be spiritually wounded if we don't give out of gratitude. It's as simple as that. If all we do is offer what's left over, if it doesn't stretch us, then... Have we given anything at all? The land that David buys is the place where the temple is eventually built. It becomes the place where people go to make their free will offerings and say, I will not offer my God that which costs me nothing. But you know also, with inside of that temple, there's a place where the greatest of all sacrifices was made. As Jesus hangs on the cross, dying for us, God was saying through the pain and the anguish, I will not offer you that which costs me nothing. That's the real gift. 
We can't let, let someone else answer for us in response to that incredible gift. It's a high and holy privilege to give. And I've got to tell you, it, I haven't always been there. And I still have some growing to do. Because I do believe that God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm not always cheerful about giving. You may be good for you. But I think we all have some growing to do. Will you grow with me? Amen.